message is entitled Taylor, T-A-I-L-O-R, Taylor-Made Plan for Helping Others. Last week we introduced a series called Helping Others to Fulfill God's Purpose for Their Lives. And this Sunday is part two. We'll be doing that for the uh, next couple of Sundays. And we wanted to just let you know and encourage you to be reaching out to help others. That's very important, to help others fulfill what God has for their lives. And then we also cleared the ground. Uh, last week we said that this really is not about you, yours, and, and uh, all the things that you're excited about. It's really about God, what God wants for your life, what God wants for my life, what God wants for other people's life. When you get born again, you're not your own any longer. You're bought with a price, price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we introduced that last week. This week we want to make sure that the foundation is wide enough, big enough to hold all that God has for the person that you're working with. And this series is going to help you to help your children, to help your neighbors, to help your relatives, to help your friends, uh, because God wants us helping others, and he also wants others helping us. Everyone needs some type of help and support in their lives. Now, if you were a general contractor, you wouldn't uh, build a house and then go to the person and tell them, this is a house I think you'll like, and I heard that you wanted to, to build a house and you were building a house, uh, and you have the finances for it, so I built you a multi-dollar, uh, multi-million dollar house, and it's on a lake. Now, you wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like that because what you want to do is to have someone talk to you for you to tell them what you want because that's what a servant is supposed to do. That's what a general contractor is supposed to do is to build what you want, not what they want. Well, it's the same way in, in uh, having a tailor-made plan to help others. You need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to the person that you, you are going to help because that person is going to tell you what they have need of. And that's very important. You can't help somebody if you don't know uh, what they have need of. You have to get close to them. And as people say, you must get in their boat because Jesus got into uh, the disciples' boat. He had to uh, find out what they were all about. And that's what you need to do. And that's what I need to do. Now, first of all, uh, today I lay a foundation for three things here. And we're going to build on that foundation. We're going to put up a frame. I think that the general contractor told me yesterday there was a... uh, uh, you had a frame to build, and after you put the foundation down, so I said, "Okay, we're going to talk about the frame then." So the first thing is that we must make a thorough study of the uh, of the plan that God has for other people. You got to make a thorough study of that plan. What I do when I'm trying to uh, work with somebody, I ask God, "God, what do you want for this person? What do you want to use me?" For to help this person, what do you have? What have you put in me that you want me to impart to this person right here? I ask God because God knows everything about everybody. He knows what He has for this person, and I don't know anything. So I tell the people I don't know uh, anything, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, died, resurrection, resurrected for our sins, our uh, well-being, and so therefore I go to the Maker and Creator of all things. And I ask him, what do you want for this person? That's what you need to do. So I'll sit down, I'll talk to the person, I'll listen to the person. I want to hear about their needs. Now, the thing that I have here, 
I ask the question, does the person that you want to help want you to help them? Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Does the person that you want to help want you to help them? Because if you don't know that, then you can be wasting a lot of God's time uh, because God hasn't sent you to that person. He hasn't sent that person to you, and uh, it's not going to be a good fit. So what I try to do is find out, God, who have you assigned to me? Who have you assigned me to? And if we can get together, then we have something clicking. In the first verse, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. Now, all implications from my reading is that uh, Timothy's father was not born again. Uh, but his mother was, uh, was a, a great woman of God, uh, Eunice, and, and also his stepmother, uh, his grandmother, was uh, Lois. She was a great woman of God, too. And they taught Timothy the scriptures from an early age. And I would encourage all you parents to teach your children the scriptures from an early age. Drill your children with the word of God. Those children should have that word of God going in them. And I like to ask children all the time to uh, memorize some scripture because if you hide the word of God in our heart, we won't sin against them. So the scriptures are very important. So as we see here that Timothy was a disciple and he was born again. Verse 2 says he was well spoken of, which means he was held in high regard by the brethren, that's the Christians, who were in Lystra and Iconium. Now we have some more information. Timothy was already called by God. He must have been doing something to let the people in Lystra and Iconium to know that this man, this young fellow here, he is a man of God. Now, Timothy might have had a, a ministry already that he was uh, uh, teaching or he might have been helping people. I don't know. It didn't say. But I know that Paul, in verse 3, wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Now, some more information is given us here. Paul wanted to help somebody. Paul was on the lookout, as you read the scripture, uh, he was on the lookout for young people to help. He had more young people. He had, uh, like, titles. He had people going with him on his missionary journeys. Paul helped people. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to help people because people need help. See, I believe that Timothy would not have been the man of God with the old experience he had later on in life, if it were not for Paul helping him. Timothy needed some help. I need help. I can't be what God has called me to be in a vacuum without anybody speaking into my, my life, without anybody helping me. Neither can you. 
no athlete, no athlete in, 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 that I know of can train themselves to be all that God has called them to be, all that they could be. They need somebody imparting to them. They need somebody pushing them. They need somebody encouraging them. And that, that person is called usually a coach or a trainer or something of that nature. Paul wanted to help Timothy. Now, Timothy, obviously, was a wise young man. He knew that, well, you know, um, I could stay here and I could do what I'm doing. I could be highly thought of in Iconium. I can be highly thought of in Lystra. But, you know, uh, Paul is a great man of God. He's going on missionary journeys. He's saving souls. I want to hook up with him because he's an apostle. And so now, when you look all the way through the scripture, uh, Paul did marvelous things, and Timothy was with him and, and saw those things. Let's look at 1 Timothy verse uh, 1 on chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, some say that, that uh, uh, probably Timothy might have been... Um, uh, saved during one of uh, Paul's early missionary um, uh, trips. But we know that Paul was not his biological father. But Paul was a father to Timothy. And Timothy was like a son to Paul. Let's look at what he says. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urge you, Upon my departure to Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order to that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange, strange doctrines. How in the world is this young man going to be teaching people at Ephesus who are much older than he is how not to teach strange doctrines? Obviously, he must have learned a great deal from from uh, Paul in listening to him and going uh, on missionary journeys with him, uh, talking to him. You can probably, probably uh, uh, think in your mind and see uh, Timothy asking Paul questions uh, about a campfire, you know, in the house or something. He, he's getting him to say, hey, Paul, wh- what about this right here? Uh, wh- what do you do? Why did you do this over here? Why did you do that? Timothy, I believe, was very inquisitive. I believe that Timothy was a man who absorbed, you know, the teachings of Paul. And there's no, no way, if you read about Paul and know sort of how Paul is, there's no way Paul's going to leave Timothy somewhere to uh, teach people not to uh, teach strange doctrine if Timothy doesn't know anything. Paul knew that Timothy represented him and was hungry for the word of God and knew the word of God. Let's look at Timothy, First um, Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. This command I trust, entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Now he's calling him my son. In, in, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight a good fight, keeping the faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected. Now, I tell you that it's very important for you to be open to all that God has for you. In, 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 in this type of church, that we have, we are open to all of the Bible. Nothing has passed away. 
that Jesus said we need for today. What Paul did, we did. We, we know. And we, we, we believe that we need it. What Jesus did, we know that we need that. When he cast out demons, we need to be able to cast out demons. When he healed the sick, we need to heal the sick. When, when uh, uh, he says that the prophecies that, were, that was uh, made concerning you, we want people to be open to prophecy. Because that's why we have a prophetic team and they meet over here usually after, after the service. We know that, that God speaks through people and you need some time a prophetic word as encouragement. I know I got a prophetic word one time from a, a, a couple in from California and I didn't know them. They didn't know me, but it, it helped me to go through what I was going through at the time and it helped open the door for me to step into where I am now because they prophesied that and I didn't even know anything about it. They didn't know anything about it. But you need a prophetic word sometime. And you need to be open to it. And if you are not open to all that God has for you, then you're not going to teach your children. And your children will not have prophetic words when clearly Timothy had a prophetic utterance spoken over him. And he said, you war according to that word. Look at 1 Timothy 4. Chapter 4. And um, let's look and see what he said there. Verse 14 through 16. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the land on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed with them so that, so that your progress may be evident to all. People, I'm telling you, you got to be hungry for all that uh, the person who's working with you has, and Paul was open to everything that God has. Nothing passed away with Paul, so he imparted it to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, you need to fight a good fight with that. Let's look at Second Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, For this reason I rem- remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the land on of my hands. Woo, come on. Did you know that gifts could be imparted to you with the land on the hands? Paul knew that. Timothy was open to that. Let's look at uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from you, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Now I'm telling you that it's very important for us to impart to those who God has, has put in our lives and who has been assigned to you to impart things to them and to be teaching them the things of God. And if you are uh, being uh, worked with by someone, a mentor or something like that, then you need to be open because God has things, great things for you, and it's hard for you to get there on your own. You need to be open. I believe Timothy was open. I believe Timothy was hungry. I believe Timothy uh, was obedient to Paul and did what Paul asked him to do because I'm telling you that Paul, if he, if he didn't do what Paul said, he would send you home and he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't let you come with him again. And I'm serious. Uh, uh, John Mark, when Paul had him, uh, uh, John Mark left him, and then Barnabas wanted 
wanted uh, John Paul to, Paul to wanted, uh, John Mark to go with him again, and Paul said, "No, uh-uh." He left one time. He not he not going with us this time, and they had a great contention, great contention. And uh, uh, he said, "Well, look, you go your way, I'll go mine." He's not going. Timothy was not that type. Timothy held on to the teachings of Paul, and he walked with Paul, and that's what we need to do. You need to find out whether the person that has been assigned to you, which you think might have been assigned to you, is that person really teachable? Does that person really want you to teach him? Timothy wanted Paul to teach him. Everybody doesn't want you to teach him. You'll find that out. You know They might need help, but they don't want you to help them. Some people don't want no one to help them. And that's, I mean, every, all of us probably been that way sometime. I know I have. And you, you, learn, you, you, you gain experience sometime to know that uh, you're foolish and immature and you're prideful. And so uh, as soon, the sooner you wake up, the better that you need somebody in your life. You really do. Another question is, what does the person need? Well, you have to spend time with the person. You have to watch the person. You have to talk to the person. You have to interact with the person. You have to watch the person when they're interacting with others. You, you, you know, you have to ask God to reveal to you some things. You pray for the person. You give the person assignments. I like to give assignments. Because when you give assignments, what will happen is that you'll find out whether the person is really hungry or not. You'll find out whether the person really wants to, uh, you to work with them or not. See, because most people, uh, they don't, they, they're too busy. They don't want to do assignments. And, and if they do them, you say, oh, hmm, this person is different. Boy, they, they must want something. And so you watch that person. You find out whether they're disciplined. You find out whether they make excuses for their mistakes. You find out whether they have a, a real desire to learn. You find out their strengths. You find out their weaknesses. You find out what their priorities are. Because if a person continually uh, would not do the assignments, you know their priority is not to learn what you ask them to learn. So the first thing is make a thorough, thorough search of the person's needs. The second thing we want to do is to take steps to make, uh, keep our own motivation high. We need to keep our own motivation high because everyone can get uh, kind of down sometimes. Everyone can get discouraged sometimes because when you're working with people, uh, uh, hurting people hurt people. Let me say it again. Hurting people hurt people. And they usually hurt the person that's close to them. And so usually you'll be close enough to the person, they'll hurt you. And so you have to realize that you need motivation. You need somebody to uh, encourage you, to speak prophetically over you, to give you some uh, advice because uh, it, it's, it's a hard road to try to walk alone. Where are you going to get what you need? If all of us need a little help, where are you going to get it? Let's look at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim. This is the scripture I told you about. And Barnabas was desirous to take John, called Mark, along with them, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them uh, in Pamphylia. And not only uh, had he, he done that, but, you know, he, he went from the work that was signed to him. 
and there arose a sharp discussion and a disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, both of those gentlemen, Paul and Barnabas, were apostles. Both of them were apostles, but they had different personalities. Uh, if you read the scripture a lot of times, you'll find out that, that Barnabas was, a, was a, uh, a man of encouragement. He encouraged people. And so he would give, you know, of course, his cousin, who was, who was uh, uh, Mark, a second chance, whereas Paul wouldn't. Paul's personality is a little bit different than, than uh, Barnabas. But you're going to have to find out what type of personality you work best with and whether uh, God has assigned you to somebody uh, to, uh, for them to work with you because uh, most people couldn't handle Paul as, somebody, as a mentor. And I know all of you say, I would love to have Paul, the Apostle Paul, for a mentor if I were back then during those days. But you wouldn't because Paul was pretty hard. I'm telling you, he was pretty hard. You might have wanted Barnabas because he's always an encourager, but Paul was different. But, see, Timothy was assigned to, bon- to, to, to uh, Paul, and Timothy said, you know what? Uh, I can learn through this man, so whatever he has to give, I can take it. You know? Everybody couldn't do that. Uh, the mentor I have is quite different than I am. And uh, uh, he, I asked him to be my mentor. And he is um, he's not as probably easy to, uh, uh, to be under than some other person. But I tell you what, he's a great man of God. Uh, my mentor, Jerry, he, he, he's, uh, he's so sweet uh, in, in, in his way. And you just have to know, you know, you just have to know in what way he's sweet, you see. And you got to know how to approach him, how not to approach him. you got to know everything about him. And so if I were looking for somebody to, to be my friend, you know, in which he is my friend, uh, but he's a different type of friend, uh, um, if I wanted to call him, you know how some of you like to call people and you like to talk about a half an hour. You not like to talk 45 minutes. You just want to talk, 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 talk. Well, Jerry doesn't talk, 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 okay? Uh, he, he'll, he, he would talk to you 10 minutes maybe. Uh, and then he said, hey, bro, got to go, grace. Yeah. And that means hang up, you know, <laughs> that's what it means, you know. And, and he, would, he would talk to me uh, at any time, and he's free, but sometimes, uh, you know, it takes him a while to get back with me because he's a busy man. Now, I could get bent out of shape, and I could say, you know what, uh, man, this man, he, he, he really doesn't, doesn't, doesn't like me. He doesn't want to spend time with me. But he does. It's just that he's different. He's very different, Okay. And I'm so glad that I asked him to be my mentor because if I had somebody easy, it wouldn't have worked for me because I'm not the easiest person to mentor. You see? So I needed somebody that's hard. I needed somebody to shake me up. I needed somebody to uh, not uh, just uh, tickle my ears because Jared does not tickle anybody's ears. I can tell you. He really doesn't. He tells you just like it is. And so uh, I'm grateful to have a mentor like that. But see, everybody won't do that. And your question you had to ask yourself is who's mentoring you? Who's speaking into your life? Because if God's going to use you to speak in other people's life, then obviously you're not above the master. So obviously you need somebody speaking into your life. And so you say, well, Jesus is enough for me. Well, you might say Jesus is enough for you, but it's not because Jesus uh, uses people. The Holy Spirit uses people. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our guide, but he uses people. And so you have to do that. Uh, one time I just wanted uh, the Bible to be what mentors me. Six or six books, that's enough. 
Uh, you know, so that's all I read. Also, I wanted tapes to mentor me. So I find somebody I like to listen to, and I get them on, 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 on tape, uh, and, and I will listen to them. Well, that's great, but that person can't speak into your life. He doesn't speak into your life. You only hear a message that he was teaching somebody else, and God can use that to help you as, as you know, a dessert, but that's not the, the you know, the, the, the vegetables. That's not the, you know, the, the, the salad that you need to make you strong and healthy in the Word. See, I need somebody I can call and say, hey, look, this is some problems I'm having. Uh, have you ever encountered that? What do, you, what, what do I do in this situation? I need somebody to call like that. I can't call that person on that CD uh, to do that. I can't call the person on that TV program uh, to do that. He's not going to do that. You see, when somebody is sick in my house, I can call Jerry. He'll come. I had to, uh, we had to look at some land, and I said, hey, Jerry, I need, need you to look at some land and, and give us some advice here. Uh, he was in Chapel Hill. He drove, he drove up to Lynchburg, saw the land, um, gave me some advice, and drove right back the same day. He stayed no time on it. He just hit the road, you know. Five-hour drive for about a, a half an hour uh, confrontation, uh, consultation with me. That's all, you know. And I said, oh, man, this is, this is great. You can't get nobody on tape or TV to do that for you. Nobody, you know. So you need a live person to speak into your life, I'm telling you. It helps you because he tells me things I don't want to hear. I'm serious, you know. He really does because I don't like to go to bed early. Um, and he tells me, you need to get in the bed, you know. Stop staying up, you know. Stop uh, ministering to everybody in the world. You can't minister everybody in the world. We're running a marathon. You're trying to run a sprint. You can't do it, brother. You know, get some rest. I said, okay, brother. You know. So my wife said, you know, hey, you better get some rest. You know what Jerry said. So, you know, that, that, that's very helpful. You see, that's very helpful. Now, the first thing I said is that you need to thoroughly make a search of a person's need. The, this, um, the second thing I said is that you need to have somebody you know, to speaking in your life. And third is that you may need to expect the best of the person that you're helping. You need to expect the best. Expect the best. You need to look for good in the person. It's easy to look for the bad in a person. I mean, it's very easy. You can see the bad in me if you're just around me a little while. You can see the bad in me. And I can see the bad in you, and others can see the bad in all of us if they just look, you know. But it's easy to do that. It's hard to see the good stuff. It's hard to see that. But you got to be with a person and you got to look for the good. You have to have a positive attitude about the person because it's easy to have a bad attitude about a person, too. Okay? Uh, God says that, he, you know, God has a good attitude about you. He really does. He has a good attitude about me. He has a good attitude about all Christians. And you know we don't deserve it. We really don't because we know we, we fall short on many things. But he has a good attitude about us. He says nice things about us. He, he picks us up. He lifts us up. He tells us uh, uh, sweet things, you see. And that's very important. You need to speak positive things over the person that you're working with. In Romans 4, uh, 16, it basically tells us that um, we need to uh, be like God is. Okay? That's what we need to be. In verse uh, 17, it says, As it is written, A father, many nations have I made you in the presence of him who, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things into, into being that does not exist. God calls those things into being that does not exist. Now, you know Abraham was old. You know Sarah was older. Oh, I mean old. You know, Abraham was older. And she was barren. But God spoke life 
into the womb. He spoke life over the person. And that's what you need to do over, over people. Speak life into them. Speak the best over, to, over them. Because you can, life or death is in the power of the tongue. You can speak life into a person, and even though they are not that right now, you can call the thing out, you know. There's no need to tell a person, you know, that, that uh, you know, a lot of little children sometimes they tell things that they wish it were true, but it's not. You know, in other words, they lie. And so what you need to do is don't say, are you a liar? You lie you, like, just like your father is a liar. You know, uh, uh, Satan is your, your, your daddy. You, don't say that over your children, you know. Don't call your children, oh, he, oh he, she's a little devil, you know. Don't say things like that. You know, speak life and speak, speak positive things over your children. Because you, you, you say, you know what? You are a person of truth, son. Our daughter, you know, you're a person of truth, and you, you made a mistake. What you said was really not true, but that's not you, you know. You're a person of truth because God is your father, you know. He's a person of truth, so you need to be a person of truth. So always tell mama the truth. Always tell daddy the truth. Speak life over your children, you know. So many people sometimes, they, what they do, they, uh, they, they tell people, well, you know, you'll never be nothing, you know. You, you know, you, you're trying to be a football player, but you're never going to be a football, football player. Look at you. You know, you're, 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 you're overweight, you know, you're short. What do you think you're going to do in a football field? You need to be in a band or something, you know. Don't tell a child what they can't do because they might be the next president. It might be the next astronaut. It might be uh, uh, the next whoever, you know. But you, you, you have to speak life into them. You got to speak. Even if they want to be a football player, and they don't have a physique. They want to be a basketball player, and they don't have what it takes. Help them. Help them. Encourage them. Go out there and play with them. It doesn't take long for a person to realize they don't have it. It doesn't take long, you know. They don't need you to do that, you know. And if somebody would have, would have done that with me, told me what they did, but I didn't listen to them. Uh, uh, when I was in high school, they told me, oh, you're going to play the line. Look at you. You know, you're fat. You're going to play the line, you know. I said, I'm not playing no line. I'm playing running back because my, my sister's boyfriend, he was a running back. And I said, I'm playing running back, just like Sergio says. And, and, and therefore, if the coach tells me that I'm going to play line, I quit. I'm not playing line. And the coach let me try running back, you know. He probably didn't think I was going to make it, but I did, only because I had a desire to do it. I was not talented. I was not nothing, but I worked hard enough to, to do it, and therefore, the rest is history, you know, for those of you who know anything about my history. So don't put that out to people that, hey, you know, you can't do this. You can't sing, you know. You don't need to be up there. You can't sing, you know. You can't even sing the dog howl when you sing, you know. Don't do that to a person. Say, oh, you know, you have such a beautiful voice. You know, God likes that joyful noise you're making. Encourage the person, you know. And that's what we try to do here to, to encourage. And that's what I want you to do. You remember last week I gave an uh, example. I read an example about a person who somebody, you know, was going to overlook. The teacher was going to overlook the person. And the person had gone through some things. The teacher didn't even know it. Uh, but through an encouragement of a teacher, that person became something. And I want to give you an, another example of um, a person who, uh, by all indications, I, I read her um, testimony. I said, wow, 
man, how in the world is she still making it, you know? Uh, but God is the deciding factor of who makes it and who doesn't. All he needs is somebody to be his vessel to uh, uh, speak life into a person. So I want uh, Sydney to come up. Uh, no, no, not Sydney. It's Terry. Terry O'Brocky? O'Brocky, okay. Uh, give God a hand for Terry, okay? I'll tell him, give me the microphone right there. If you want to be heard. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. We're good. All right. You got your Kleenexes? Pull them out. Ah, Terry O'Brocky, that's me. Um, I want to dedicate this to um, a couple people in my life. Um, my foster mother, Fran Harrison. She's she's with the Lord. Uh, now my voice is getting shaky. I don't like speaking in front of people. Um, uh, my father, who's getting real close to death, he's going to go see Jesus here pretty soon. Uh, my grandparents, they've already gone to see the Lord. So there's a lot of people that have uh, worked to get me where I'm at, and, and people now, too. Even, even young children are teaching me. So it's a blessing. All right. I'm giving my testimony in response to the last week's story about Teddy. If you remember Teddy, he was a little boy who didn't outwardly show his potential. Uh, He had lost his mother to terminal cancer very young, and he did not have the guidance in his life that he needed to flourish. That's my story. I was born Teresa Lynn Fishburne to my father Richard, my mother Kathy. From the beginning, there was dysfunction in my life. My father struggled with lifelong schizophrenia, and my mother, who was pregnant with me at 16, had just recently been released from the state mental hospital due to 10 years of sexual abuse by her father. So you're talking four years after the fact I came along. My brother Brian and I spent a lot of time with my paternal grandparents as my father needed help with us. I didn't know the whole story, but my mother left when I was two years old. Although we lived in a house apart from my grandparents, we spent our days on their dairy farm. My grandparents were my stability. Whoops, I'm making a lot of noise. Um, When I was seven, my father remarried. I liked his new wife, Cheryl. She made me feel special. She did a lot of little things like playing games with me and just, just holding my hand or what have you. When I was 10 years old, my brother and I went to live with my grandparents who had recently moved here to Lynchburg. I didn't know the exact reason why. You the man. You the man. Yeah. All right. Now I can use this as a crutch. If y'all know me, you know I'm sitting barefoot. I got my shorts on. I, this is just not comfortable for me. I'm good. You good? Mouth is all dry. All right, anyhow. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
I didn't know the exact reason why we moved uh, here with my grandparents, but I was excited nonetheless. I love my grandparents, and I had missed them terribly when, we mo when they had moved. So now, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I'm leaving my dad, I'm leaving my stepmom, and I'm leaving my two uh, younger half-sisters who had been born into the family when my dad remarried. The transition was not a difficult one, though. We made friends easy and the other kids, with the other kids in the neighborhood. Grandma and Grandpa took us to church every Sunday, and we were pampered and loved on. The rest of the family moved to Virginia about a year later. So nine of us were living in a little three-bedroom house, so anyway, when I was 13, uh, we moved out of my grandparents' house into a place I call the shack. It was so run down and old, I swear. I think, you the man. All right. back up. Thank you. Where was I? Dub, dub, dub. All right, so we're living in that old shack, and I mean, I'm telling you, I thought it was going, it looked like it was leaning. That thing was old. I remember finding snake skins upstairs in the room that we, we picked a lock on. We had no phone, no air conditioning, no heat, except for wood stoves in each room. My mom started working at Westminster Canterbury, and my father worked at Leggett in the mall. During this time, my father's illness seemed to flare, his schizophrenia, uh, and we would talk for hours. He would talk for hours, making no sense at all. Boy, did I get, ooh, I got tired of that. So my mom became emotionally detached, and Dad eventually took my brother, and the two moved back in with my grandparents. So now I feel like Cinderella. I would have to babysit my sisters when my mom went out and partied. Uh, I was the one that had to take the chainsaw out and cut, the, cut and split the wood at 14. Hoorah! Um, and, when, and a lot of times the water got cut off, so I had to go down to the stream and, and go up a big old hill with a five-gallon bucket of water. So it was rough. I guess my mom felt sorry for me or something because she let me start smoking dope with her and allowed me to have a little freedom. At the time, I thought it was great. I got a buddy now, buddy with, with pot. Um, I could skip school and smoke pot with my mom or get drunk, even sleep with men while she was there. Uh, I had lost my virginity at the age of 14, and my life was beginning to unravel with this newfound freedom. Toward the end of my 10th grade year, my mother filed for divorce, and this was my stepmother, and we moved into a trailer closer to my grandparents. A few months later, she had lost the girls in a custody battle with my father. I chose not to go with my dad because I couldn't deal with him at the time, um, and no one really seemed to put up a fight. My mom and I kept on partying. By this time, I was dropping acid, taking a lot of speed, I was even huffing glue to get high. For my 15th birthday, my mom bought me 15 cases of beer. Cool. Not. It really wasn't cool. When a couple of men came to the door asking for my mom, Cheryl, I let them in thinking they were going to get drunk and high with us. I watched one of the men hand my mom some money, and my mom came over to me and told me she wanted to go with the men. I was raped that night. and returned home the following morning. I didn't realize until many years later that my mom had made money at my expense.
And it was just her and I in the trailer at this point. A few months later, I came home from school. My mom told me she was leaving for Kansas. And she would only be gone for two weeks. She said that she didn't. She said that she needed. Now I can't see through my tears. She said that she needed to be with her family for a while. She gave me some food stamps and she showed me what was in the freezer. The things that she had bought while I was at school that day. She said I would have plenty to eat and she left. I guess I was stunned. I didn't know how she even got to Kansas. Maybe she drove. I don't even know. It wasn't long before my father found out that I was living in the trailer alone. He came over and tried to take my possessions and get me to move back with him and my grandparents. And remember, I'm, I'm 15 at this point. I told him that I didn't want to, um, but he just kept, kept taking things out to the car. I grabbed a steak knife out of the drawer, and I told him if he didn't leave, I was going to stab him. He walked outside, and the next thing I remember is the police coming. I refused to go home with Dad, and the police took me to a temporary foster home. I remember that it was only three days before I locked the bedroom door, shoved all my belongings in a pillowcase, and stole the piggy bank off the dresser before jumping out the window. And it was kind of high. I didn't tell anyone. Um... I skipped a whole paragraph. Where am I? Um, I had made up my mind that I would hitchhike to Kansas, be with my stepmother, the one that just left. I don't know why I made that decision, but that's what I made. Those two weeks that she was supposed to have been gone were passed, and she had never returned. Um, I didn't tell anyone that I'd be coming to Kansas. I was less than a mile down the road when a man picked me up. He seemed nice enough. I asked him to take me to my trailer so I could get my things. He turned on every street that I asked him to turn on, except for one. He stopped the car, and I was raped again. The second time in three months. This was the standard. I was beginning to think. The next person to pick me up, see, I'm hitchhiking all this time. The next person to pick me up drove out into a field and molested me. And yet another man attempted to. It was about a three-day trip to Kansas. Uh, finally did make it to Kansas, to my stepmother, and to more pain. By the time it was all said and done, I had quit school in 1985, just a month before school was out. Ran away from home, moved in with my stepmother and her brother, continued to drink and drug, and started my second 10th grade year but this time in Kansas. Just a few months after my arrival in Kansas, my stepmother decided to, to move back to Virginia in order to be near her daughters. I couldn't believe it. I knew I didn't want to move again, and if I quit school, I didn't know if I'd ever return. I told my mom that I didn't want to go with her, and she left without a tear in her eye. That's twice she left me. Now at 16... I was living with a man, and I was living as man and wife with my step-uncle. 
yes, living with my step-uncle in a sexual relationship. Nothing was sacred now. One night we went to a bar in the next town, and he started flirting with another girl. When the boyfriend found out there was a brawl, and I physically tackled my uncle and told him we had to leave. I was underage, and he'd been arrested and in prison many times, so I, I knew we were going to get in trouble. I argued with him all the way home. And we, when we arrived home, he fought back with his fist. All I can remember was getting hit in the head several times and screaming, please don't kill me. And that just came out of nowhere. It was somebody else that was saying it wasn't me. I continued to going to school, and no one asked any questions. I wore the same clothes day after day. I made friends with a girl who lent me some shirts, which made me feel a little bit better about my appearance. There was a little food in the house, and I depended mostly on bread, water, and cheese. And head cheese. You ever heard of head cheese? Oh, God. <sighs> my grades were poor. Toward the beginning of 1986, social services found out about my situation, and a social worker visited the trailer. She asked questions and took notes. The next month, she visited again. Three days after my 17th birthday, I ended up in the hospital with a severe kidney infection. I was still smoking pot and even did it in the bathroom of the hospital. <laughs> On February 24th, my birthday, my social worker showed up, she t then, and I was turning 17. She told me that they were releasing me that day and that I would be going to live with her, and I didn't put up a fight. Hank and Fran Harrison were my new foster parents, and I had already been ward of the state of Kansas for some time. My new family set out rules for my living in the house. What I was not allowed to do affected me more than what I was allowed to do, at least at the time. I had to stop smoking, drinking, drugging, having sex, meeting with my boyfriend slash uncle. That's, that's bad. That's just, that's just nasty. <laughs> but I didn't know any different. Throughout the next year and a half, I was well taken care of. I remember when I, when I got to Fran's house, I opened every kitchen cabinet. I was in awe of how much food they had. And I just couldn't stop staring at it. I was given my own bedroom and introduced to my foster sister, Melissa who was a year younger than I. Fran told me that she tried to place me with several families in the surrounding area, but no one would take me because of my history. And that was why they themselves had taken me in. Thanks be to God. The Lions Club gave me $600 to purchase clothes. I noticed after a couple weeks that my teachers began to take note of the changes. I tried out for track and I did well. I competed in hurdles, the high jump, the 200 meter run, and the shot put. 
With just a little training, I broke the school record for the shot put. And then I started breaking my own record with every track meet. My foster mom was at every one. Every one. And she would watch me before she would watch her own daughter. She talked to me almost every night about life and what I needed to do to succeed. My teachers began to encourage me with special care as well, and also the principal and the other staff. Before I turned 18, my biological mother had contacted my foster mom and wanted to arrange a meeting. I'd only seen her once when I was five. Mouse getting dry again. My foster mom helped me to write write out my feelings in a letter that we intentionally never mailed. I met with my mother and her boyfriend, and I told her I never wanted to see her again. That she hadn't been there for me all this time. And now wasn't the time to start. The next year I found out that if I wanted to graduate the year I was supposed to, I would have to take my junior and senior classes together as well as three correspondence courses in order to have enough credits to graduate. With all the encouragement that I had received at the end of my 10th grade year from my teachers and my foster parents, I knew I could do it. I didn't do any extra extracurricular activities, but worked hard on my schoolwork. It seemed that all I did was go to school, come home, do my homework, go to school. But I wanted it. I wanted it bad. I received a call from my father telling me that my grandmother, who raised me, remember, had been diagnosed with colon cancer in May, and in May, 1987, she passed away. I was guilt-ridden that I hadn't been there. I was guilt-ridden for 10 years. I love that woman. She was born in 1910 had a master's degree. She taught school for 26 years. How can you not want to emulate that? And I wasn't there because I was selfish. I graduated with my class in June of 1987. My grade point average when I had arrived in Kansas was a 1.76. 1.76. But I graduated with a 3.5. Many of the teachers had taken a liking to me, but one man, Mr. Mendel, my English teacher and his wife brought me a gift at my graduation. It was a pocket-sized New Testament Bible. And I always cherished the fact that for the first time in my life, I was the teacher's pet. So... And that wasn't even half the details, but God brought me through that. And I'd come through it all by God's grace. <clears throat> I met a man that I knew. Let's see. I'm in the Army now. See, I got red X's on here, so I had to skip a little bit. 
uh, I'm, in, I'm in the Army now when I meet this guy. And I knew he was destined to be my husband. But I was already in a relationship to a man I eventually married. My friend, though, talked to me about a personal relationship with Jesus. And this time, I knew I needed to be saved. I accepted Christ and devoted myself to reading the Bible and praying with my new Christian friends and going to church. And God showed me wonderful things and even a few miracles. It's not easy to try to read and cry. I was married in June of 1990 to the father of my two beautiful girls, Megan and Shelby. Even though my husband was not a Christian and I was told not to marry the man. We divorced nearly 10 years later. And I know it would have been different if he had been a Christ follower. I've been a Christian now for over 18 years. And in my journey of sanctification, I have still dealt with many storms. I have functioned through divorce, terrible financial struggle. I've seen a psychiatrist on two different occasions. I've lost jobs, dealt with severe depression, and I've been on antidepressants for the last eight years. I'm proud of that. Take care of you. In 2003, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and I work hard to balance my activity. X, X, X. In my years as a Christian, I've realized many truths, and I hope all you youth are looking this way. Better get your ears perked up. One being that he never, nor never, will ever leave me. He has always been there, just waiting for me to talk to him. God had a plan for my life. And he, Debbie, don't look at me like that. And he is continually working it out in the way that he wants it to be. I've found that difficult times in one's life does not mean that God is not there. The trials that we go through are God's way of preparing us for this horrendous world of sin. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I attend Blue Ridge Community Church in Forest, and I've been attending Celebrate Recovery for over a year now. This program has helped me to see God's work in my life and to pull me closer to him. Everybody needs Celebrate Recovery because everyone hurts, everyone has habits, and everybody has hang-ups. With a steadfast relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, God has given me a great duty. 
I have knowledge of my spiritual gifts and a compassionate heart. And God is allowing me to make a difference in people's lives, which will continue whether I'm rich or poor, healthy or not. God is using me to further his plan for the lives of others. I thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, let me know. I hope you identified with some of that. God bless. Let's give God a hand for what he's done in Tara's life. You know, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. You don't want to go through life without God. If you ain't got him, you better get him. Because I'm going to tell you what, you're going to hit some struggles that are going to knock you sideways. And you ain't going to know what to do. You better get a hold of some Holy Spirit and get it now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Is helping people, his teens, and uh, and then the thing is that God loves all of us, and all of us have been through things that uh, God has to outdo, overdo, undo, as Satan try to do, and He will do it if you give Him an opportunity. Let's stand. I want to close the service today. Um, giving you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So if you bow your heads, please, let's close in prayer. <coughs> Father, we know that you are the reason why terror is here now. You're the reason why we're all here now. And we all have been through things. And we are just highlighting, Lord, through testimonies, your goodness, your grace, that you intervene in lives. What the enemy meant for harm, you turn it into good, Lord. If there's anybody here that want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, now's the time. If you just raise your hand and put it back down, we'll pray for you. Is there anybody here that would like to do that?